Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 12th episode here of the K2 Podcast. I got a really uh, special uh, treat for you guys tonight. We have a wonderful guest who will be joining us. Her name is Allison Pena. Uh, Allison is a lifelong New Yorker. Uh, she's lived in Man- uh, lives in Manhattan. She's a prim- She was a primary caregiver until her husband of 25 years, David, died in her arms uh, at home after an 11-month battle with pancreatic cancer. Uh, Allison's learned a lot about... Uh, living fearlessly, even in the face of death as a widow. Uh, She's faced pervasive assumptions that she was broken by her loss. As a result, she was isolated and lonely, uh, but could not find the resources to answer her challenges, so she created them. Uh, She's began a a blog, uh, which you can find at badwidow.com, and she's unafraid of ruffling feathers and having provocative conversations on life and death. So here with us today is a wonderful Alice Allison Pena, a.k.a. the Bad Widow herself. Thanks for joining us, Allison. Thank you so much, Kevin. Yes, excellent. Well, I'm glad that you uh, were able to join us this evening. So why don't you give everybody a little bit of background here? I see that you have a photo there in the background that looks like a painting. Can you, what's, what's that all about? So my husband was an artist, a professional artist. Um, as a result, I have uh, 800 paintings really? of his. Paintings and drawings, landscapes, cityscapes, portraits. And so this is a painting behind me is a painting of uh, the Pan Am building, which was now the is now the MetLife building. It's where Grand Central is. So the base of it is Grand Central. That's a really awesome painting. I actually love it. Did you have a couple others? I think you had a few other ones behind you there as well, didn't you? I have a bunch. So what I've done since I have all these paintings is I've made them into backgrounds for my Zooms. That's awesome. So I'll roll you through a few of the paintings. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that, please. (laughs) Just for fun. So this is Maine. This is a a place that we go in Maine. It's an island uh, off of Rockland, which is about two hours north of Portland. And this is a sunset. Wow. You can really see the canvas there. I can, like, see the texture of the canvas. That looks awesome. Really gritty. Yes. This is a uh, stoop in Greenwich Village. This is an upstairs bedroom. He had an amazing talent. Yeah, I mean, just amazing Amazing. looking at it. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. I'm like, I wish I could paint that way. (laughs) Oh, I know. Me too. This is kind of a storm. This is also Maine. Wow. And a couple of flower paintings. That's awesome. I'm I'm really impressed by by his talent. I mean, that's amazing. Where you got? Has he ever tried to monetize those, or was it something he only did for fun? Or no, no, he was a professional artist. That's how he made his money. Nice. That's a the best thing to being able to make money yep. doing something you love to do. I think that's like the best way you can live. You know what I mean? So that's great. It really is. It really is. It's incredible. So, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the loss of your husband? I mean, the paintings are wonderful, and I know there's kind of a a sad part to it, but, you know, how could you go into a little depth on that? So my husband was not feeling well in uh, 2015, and we went to... We went to the ER three times. We went to urgent care twice. We, nobody could figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in October of 2015, we went to the doctor and got a, he got a CAT scan. And the doctor said, you have to come in today. That's never a good sign when the yeah, doctor absolutely. says, you have to come in today. Yeah. You automatically go, yep. this is not good. Um, <laughs> 
and he said, uh, you have stage four pancreatic cancer. And I don't know if you know the trajectory for that, but basically with stage four pancreatic cancer, typically you're going to die in six weeks to four months. Mm. So we were suddenly looking at, okay, our lifespan together, and we had known each other pretty close to half my life, mm-hmm. um, was soon going to end. And the doctors kept saying, okay, slow down, just relax, do less. Mm-hmm. And what we did instead, and I think this is really important for these times as well, what we did instead was we reprioritized. So we looked at what really mattered to us. Sure. I think everybody, I mean, I shouldn't generalize it, but you tend to hear that with everybody who faces death. I mean, there's a good country song about it, I'm sure, that you've heard where he goes, I went skydiving. You know, that song, it's just like when you're faced with those things, it really kind of puts things into perspective. So it's an interesting take that you have there. Yeah, and and this is this is sort of the crisis and the opportunity of any loss or transition. So the loss of a loved one, but we're in a massive period of turmoil right now. So you know, economically with health, there's there's just so much uncertainty. Certainly, and and so the the thing we knew was certain or almost certain was that my husband would be dead in as short as six weeks and Mm -hmm. anything beyond that was you know borrowed time time we fought for um so what we decided to do was we decided to live fearlessly we decided to start knocking stuff off our bucket list um and he loved his art and he loved to play tennis and so I started really pushing him to within the limits of his energy to do those things he loved most. Right. Because, you know, we put off the stuff that matters most because maybe we'll be embarrassed or maybe we won't make a good showing. But when you're literally watching someone you love that much going towards death. Sure. There's not too much to be afraid of. Yeah, and all, yeah, and that's a great point because when you think of it, I mean, it's kind of a maybe a harsh take, but what do you have to lose? You know, what can you lose? You're facing death anyway. You might as well kind of just put it all out there and just, you know, have at it. You know what I mean? There's not a whole lot you have to lose. So, and I'm sure in some way he probably appreciated that support that you gave him to push him and just say, you know, and be there by his side and like really just be there for him in a time where he had a lot of uncertainty and didn't know what to do. And I I bet you brought a lot of balance to him and encouragement. So I'm sure he appreciated that a lot. So it's amazing to hear you talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I just shunted all the logistical stuff away. Mm -hmm. If he didn't love doing it, he loved being with friends. He loved painting. He loved playing tennis. I wish I could play tennis. (laughs) I'm not not agile enough. (laughs) No, neither am I. He was USPTA certified. That's awesome. But, you know, as he got, he went from, he was six foot three, mm-hmm. and I'm five three, and he went from 265 pounds to 146. After the by cancer? The, yep. Mm. By, the, by the time he died. So I weighed 30 or 40 pounds more than he did by, by the time he died. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, 
he played tennis. He was typically very self-critical. And in the end, he would go out to play tennis. And I remember one time he, he literally stretched his length across the tennis court. He fell because <laughs> oh, his man. balance was off. And he picked himself up and went and played. Wow. So he just got much gentler with himself as he was facing this. And he also um, painted his last painting the Thursday before he died. And he completed that? He did. That's awesome. That's his amazing. Last commission. So let me ask. So as you, as you, like, what, I hear you talk about some of the bold things that you've done, but um, could you go into a little bit more depth? What were some more of the activities and things that you guys, uh, you know, accomplished when you talk about knocking things off your bus bucket list, so to speak? Exactly what was that type of stuff? Well, I mean, for me, I had wanted to stand on stages and talk about my work and sing in cabaret shows. I had mm -hmm. sung in choirs forever. We sing in my family. So mm -hmm. we sing three generations in my family since I was a child. It's a really big thing in my life. That's awesome. Um, but I wanted to stand on a cabaret stage uh -huh. in a little club and sing my own songs. <laughs> That's awesome. Three That's songs. amazing. Did you have any fears about getting up on the stage or did you feel a certain responsibility because you're there to support him and push him in a way that you felt that you had to e exemplify that and, you know, do, does no, that make sense? Yeah. It had more to do with staying whole myself. So there was so much that was, and I think this is true for people who are caregivers. Mm -hmm. I was so taken up with just that role that it was really True. hard to remember that I was a woman and I was, you know, smart and competent. And I was, you know, at times when I wasn't necessarily feeling like any of those things. Mm -hmm. And so the songs that I chose were to remind myself that I was more than what I was living through. Because at some point he was going to be gone and I was going to be living into a completely unknown future. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in the course of the time while he was dying, I, I sang on four stages and I spoke on three. And he was able to attend those? He attended the early one by the last one. The last show I did was the Tuesday before the Saturday he died. Mm -hmm. And he shoved me out the door. Um, he was on oxygen and okay. we couldn't count on the oxygen tank lasting through the show. Sure. I so, think that makes um, sense. Well, so yeah. let me ask. So, how did you handle this type of thing when you when it started to go downhill and you, you he really started to deteriorate and you know everything the fun stuff kind of started to, to decline. How did you handle those feelings? You know, expect like where did how did how did you go about that? What was your go to? It's really challenging because um, especially. Because I wasn't the one who was sick, mm -hmm. but I was certainly impacted sure. by my the man I'd loved for 25 years dying. Mm -hmm. um, but I heard a lot, well, I'm the one who's sick. He's the one who's sick. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so one of the things that I did for both of us is I, I created this little meditation where I would say, okay, we're, we're filling up with love from our, our toes to the tops of our heads. Mm -hmm. And I would do it like waves. Okay, the waves are lapping over your toes and up, all the way up, right? Yeah. And, and that was a practice that I started. And so when he died, 
we, we I fought, we fought not to have him go into hospital hospice. Mm-hmm. We wanted him to die at home. I'm sure. And yeah. for it just to be us, Makes you know. Sense. And and you get a lot of pressure at the end to shove people into the hospital. But as long as I could manage it, I was not going to do that. And so the last day, I heard um, on on my Pandora, Ghost came on, the theme song from Ghost. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is the day. So let me ask, um, I'm sure, and I'm sure it's very difficult for you. So, you know, I apologize for that. But, you know, how did you... Is this, so when you talk about the meditation practices and things like that, was that yep. uh, is that where you came up with the the uh, affluence code, or is that where that started? Because that's how I originally came across you on YouTube, and I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. And I saw one of your public speaking events on there, so I was yep. like, that's what I was like, wow, she's got you know some really interesting takes on this stuff. I should reach out to her, and that's how I came across you. So. Is that how this came about? You know, is that where it came from? So the affluence code is um, is something that informs a lot of the stuff that I do. What I discovered with the affluence code is that there are three primary focuses that everyone has. And everyone mm-hmm. does all of these, right? Mm-hmm. So none of them is excluded. The first is um, doing impeccable work. These people, they, they love to work. That's where they feel most themselves. Mm-hmm. The second is, um, and that was one I called purpose, the lens called purpose. The second is nurturing one-on-one relationships. That's the lens called love. These people, when they are feeling really good, they're fabulous to be around. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows some of these people, sure. right? Yep. You just, as long as they themselves are well, they're wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then the third is one I call charity, and that's serve a thriving ecosystem. So because I knew that my husband was purpose, loved to work, Mm -hmm. he would have died much faster if I hadn't pushed him, allowed him, encouraged him to work. Sure. And mine is charity first, which is serve a thriving ecosystem. So sharing the journey that I was on, being of service to other people, that fed me. Okay. So... So one of the one of the ways to get back to yourself and back to being resourceful and resilient again is to sink into your zone of genius. Okay, your area of purpose. Mm-hmm. And just start doing that. Okay, well, so that makes a lot of sense. So how is like so uh one of the questions i have down here is how taking strategic action congruent with who you are unlocking your affluence code leads to effortless and immediate results consistently consistently well could you explain a little bit about that and what that means totally um when my husband was working mm-hmm. people saw him work saw how impeccable he was and offered him more mm-hmm. In, um, in in talking about and sharing about the journey through all of this, in being vulnerable, brave, visible, transparent about everything that was going on, mm-hmm. the good times and the bad times, um, I was serving my community, right? So I was being fed. Now, for example, 
I have applied in 2020 to 106 podcasts. Mm-hmm. So what? I've been booked on 26. Well, I mean, that's amazing, right? Sure, sure. But people, people heard me, saw me, and reached out because what I was talking about was important. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're in your your zone, the thing that you're greatest at, organically, everything begins to happen. Synchronicity sort of lines up, so you'll get the opportunities that you want. One of the one of the joys about knowing who you are in this particular way mm-hmm. is that there's so many choices of what to do. So many businesses, so many opportunities, so sure. many relationships, so many everything, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you can't screen it down, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. If you screen it down based on who you are, then you're picking the right choices. That means your success rate organically goes up. Do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Right? So someone who's great with one-on-one relationships, they're going to be miserable if you put them behind a computer, True. Someone who's good at getting stuff done, and this happens a lot in companies, someone whose purpose, they're good at getting stuff done. If you put them managing people, the teams will begin to fall apart because they're terrible with people. Sure. That makes sense. And you've seen this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've worked in management for, shoot, over five years, and, you know, I had some coworkers that weren't, like you say, very did, they were some of them were actually really good at doing their job, but when it came to managing the people, they didn't have that connection. So that, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. So your bad managers are typically going to be people who are purpose first, but you absolutely want them getting the stuff done. Mm-hmm. They're amazing at it, but it, me, companies don't typically look at it like this. So if you have someone on your team who's a love first, nurturing one-on-one relationships, the team's going to operate much more seamlessly. They're great at customer service. Mm-hmm. If you have someone who's charity, which is my my first, they can see what works, what doesn't work, and how to fix it. True. The only thing about this kind of person is that if they are not allowed to fix the things that are wrong, they're a horrible employee. I'm a terrible employee, sure. and I love to work. <laughs> so that's interesting you bring that up because I had a guest on a couple episodes back. Her name is Rihanna Milne. She's a life and love coach. Uh, she really was a great guest to have on. But that was some of the things that she had talked about was some of the past things that, whether it be from childhood or Wherever these traumas come from, um, go on with you into your adult life and affect the way you work, your relationships, and all the things that you get involved with. So, you know, to hear you kind of speak about that as well, I think it really speaks to what people are facing. And you have to resolve those issues if you're going to be able to move on and kind of, uh, I guess, I, I don't know the correct word. I guess it was, you have to be able to move on and get past all of that to be successful and things like that. But can you tell me a little bit, like, is there a way to curate your, like, perf- 
personal and professional networks proactively so that they deliver the resources you need effortlessly? Like, how do you, hopefully that's kind of a good transition, but how do you go about that? So, um, what I found, there, uh, I'm just going to step you through sort of the the three things that I wind up doing with people. Mm-hmm. So, after a loss or transition, you need to heal. There's lots of feelings. Right. Grief, fear, anger, and we're seeing this now. We have a health crisis and an economic crisis. Mm-hmm. Lots of feelings. We're in the middle of a massive period of transformation. Right. So that's sort of the first thing. Because you stuff down the feelings, you've got a volcano mm-hmm. that will erupt at mm-hmm. some point. Probably the worst point. The second thing is to figure out what you want. So in a changed world, we don't go back. We can't go back. That's true. And people say, you know, I wish I could, yep. but there was a time. I'm guilty you, of that myself. I've done that a bunch of times. I wish, yeah, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, you know. Yeah, things change. Even good things change. So you mm-hmm. have a child and there's the relationship that you had before. And then there's the relationship you have as a family. It's awesome, but it's different. Mm-hmm. You're not going back. And and so in a time of transition, that happens. And it's necessarily necessary to take a look at your priorities as they are now and really make distinctions of what do you want and what's the best way to ask to sure. get it. And, and the clarity piece is critical because the thing I discovered as Bad Widow Mm-hmm. is we think people don't want to give us what we ask for mm-hmm. or we're embarrassed or ashamed or awkward about asking. Mm-hmm. And what I found out was that people absolutely want to give me, get, wanted to give me what I was asking for, but they didn't want to get it wrong. People walk on eggshells around a widow <laughs> And so if they couldn't get it right, they weren't going to try. That's interesting. Yep. If I could be specific enough mm-hmm. that they could win every single time, mm-hmm. it upped my rate of success in asking. So now I'll get to the piece that you were asking Sure. About. Well, just before you go, not to distract you, but did you find yep. that that also translate into success in your career when you're when you are you so are you not to go way off a topic here but did have you you've heard of i'm assuming like the secret uh have you are you familiar Mm -hmm. with that or maybe like i noticed that's one big thing that you know clear and concise message whether you write it down and wake up and recite it for 20 minutes every day or whatever it may be um also uh think and grow rich by napoleon hill was one of my first ever books that i mean i was so captivated by it was i was it was i couldn't put it down i like i think i knocked it out in like two days you know i was just done with it you know i just it's an excellent book i really i mean it still resonates with me today so you do find because i've always i have to be honest here because i believe you Mm -hmm. know our conversation should definitely be an honest one so that was one part that I always lacked in was not being specific in what I had wanted. You know, I read the stuff. I'm like, oh, it sounds great. 
but I never really fully committed to it. Do you? Did you genuinely find like give you give us your customer review? Did you find that it helped you out when you like? I mean, it sounds like that's what you're saying. It's absolutely what I'm saying. People don't get what they want because they're either too vague or too small. Okay. So too vague is because they're afraid they might not get it something they really want and they're afraid they might not get it too small is if it doesn't make your heart sing mm -hmm. you're not that excited about asking for it and nobody else is excited about giving it to you that makes a lot of sense that okay too vague or too small so when i when i was really specific about what i was asking then it they could win they could be my hero mm -hmm. and so it, it was a, a mutually beneficial relationship. But here's the key. This is the thing that you asked me about, which I'm circling back sure, around. Sure. Um, how do you have a network that delivers? So if we think about networks, we think only in business about networks. Mm -hmm. Are you getting the referrals you need to grow your business? Mm -hmm. We talk a lot in this way. Yeah. But if you think about it, we exist in networks all the time in all aspects of our lives. Who are you going to talk to about one thing and then who do you talk to about something else? Sure. Right? It's right. not the same person. No, it's not. It's not. It's not at all. And who do you go to the gym with or go to a bar with? Mm -hmm. And who do you ask a really big favor or a small favor, who do you ask to, to babysit? Mm -hmm. And who do you ask to loan you money and fund a new business? Right. They're different people, right? Sure, sure. But we don't think about our networks as resources in this particular way. They sort of grow by default. People rise up into positions and then they're just there and mm -hmm. they're part of our network. Mm -hmm. But we're not thinking about what are they delivering within the network? How are we mutually serving each other? Right? Until you make an assessment of your network, you don't know mm -hmm. if it's doing what you want it to do. If it's the optimal resource you want. So, I go through a process and I have people assess their networks look at all areas of their lives and the people who are really important in the different roles in their lives mm -hmm. and see how they're doing, you know? And if there are gaps, and there are always gaps, uh -huh. start looking around for people who can rise into those roles. Right. Because once you know what's missing, you can fill it. Mm -hmm. Until you know what's missing, so that makes a lot of sense. So well, let me ask, what is the, what is, when you look, take a look at your network, what, how does mm -hmm. that all come in? Do, you say, you know, you may go to this person for that thing or this person for this, but where does it all come together at some point or does it come together or what, what like, what is the outcome or the goal of analyzing your network and what is the uh end of it what is what, what's how does it look like coming out on the other side once you've analyzed on what your who your network is and things like that so your end goal is to to create to basically to design rather than by default but mm -hmm. by design uh, a network 
a community of people who can deliver anything you might ask of them. So, for example, if you were thinking that you might want to start a business, you might want to start looking around and cultivating people who would have the funds. Good point that could support you with that. Sure. So it, it comes back to you. What do you want? That's why the second, the sort of second step is figure out what you want right. until you know what you want. You don't know who you need in your network to deliver it. That's a great point. That, I mean, that kind of circles back to what you were saying earlier. Okay. So let me ask this just to kind of, uh, play devil's advocate maybe what would you say to somebody that would maybe be like well it sounds like you're just doing a bunch of asking and you know where's the give in it or like you know why like you're just gonna stick your hand out there with this clear and concise message and expect people to give you things so what would be the response to some you know a person like that um it's a totally valid point uh it it tends there tends to be People look at the, these network um, interactions mm -hmm. as um, a kind of a balance sheet sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not. I mean, I, I was married for 20 years with the same guy 25 years. Mm -hmm. There were times there was more in my <laughs> bucket and times when there was more in his bucket. Sure. So there needs to be a willingness to have an ebb and flow. It can't be one person giving all the time. Sure. But in a crisis situation, one person is going to need more. Right. And then when they have more, when they themselves are more filled up, they'll have the resources to give more. Right. That makes a lot of sense, and I think one thing that my personal response to that would be something along the lines is I, I, I think I have a couple of things on it. One for me would be, mm -hmm. one, do what you say you're going to do. So if you make promises when you do have these clear and concise thoughts and you, you know, you're saying, hey, I'm going to do this you better you know do hold your end of the bargain up you know you may get what you need mm -hmm. but you need to hold your end of the bargain up but in addition to that also i think about not is also reciprocating it not just in by doing what you say you're going to do but when you talk in a situation like maybe you're looking for business loans and things like that having a clear and concise message couldn't mean something as far as a contract and repaying that debt and things like that and that kind of goes in with saying do what you say you're going to do so i think when you do ask for something and you do say hey this is my plan this is my goal it's clear and concise but to stick to that and hold up to that and do what you say you're going to do, I think would be the best response to somebody that, you know, may have that attitude of, well, you're just asking and asking, mm -hmm. what do I get for my money? You know what I mean? So that may be one way to address it, I was thinking. Well, the other thing about it is nobody loves a victim. Sure. We, we take care of the victims, but nobody loves a victim. That's true. So throughout, I was the, the, the real tipping point. When I, when I basically became Bad Widow, I came out of my husband um, dying, and I could barely get out of bed. I would sure. lie in bed, and I would think of a reason to put my foot on the floor every single day. Mm -hmm. And my energy was really variable. My first job, and I had been a medical editor for an advertising firm, a consultant. I couldn't do any of that. Sure. I had gaps in my memory a semi could drive through sure. 
I had the attention span of so a So you would just line. blank out, you know, kind of just go out of it. Impossible. And so the first job I took, what I realized was, and 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 this is important for these times as well, to to honor the energy that you have. Mm-hmm. So you're not a loser if one day you have less energy and another day you have more. Mm-hmm. When you have lots of energy, go as fast as you can. When you have less energy, fill yourself up. Sure. Go for a walk. Sure. Do more self-care. Um, and so it's important to not be a victim in the matter. The, the place when I decided I was not broken. Yeah. That I could not be broken. And going to take a stand. I took a stand. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we do a lot of shaming in our culture. And this is one of the things that really worries me about right now. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of shaming um, about not being able to work, mm-hmm. about getting sick, mm-hmm. about all of this has dumped down on our head. I live in New York City. Mm-hmm. We have more than 25,000 dead here. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just come down on our head and and that will sort. I'm concerned that we not shame ourselves and shame each other about stuff we can't help. That's true. That's a very good point. And that's one thing I've really kind of been working hard to not do, um, you know, because I'm not I'm mm-hmm. a human. I'm not perfect, you know, and, but it is it's it, it I think it also comes with fear, um, inconsistency, mm-hmm. um, not knowing what the future holds. I think a lot of people's response is to respond in a way that you're speaking of and shame and stuff like that. So I think that will also if you can develop, I think this is a great point when you de- think you, when you begin to develop a clear and concise path and desire for Mm -hmm. what you want, you can maybe alleviate some of that uncertainty and some of those things that you may be feeling and don't have to go down that road of shaming people or putting others in and, you know, projecting onto others your bad intentions or your uncertainty or whatever it may be, you know? So I think of what you're, you know, bringing up in your message here is kind of, it really rings true. I I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And, and, you know, the people who need structure, they need to design their own structures because otherwise they're not going to thrive. I mean, it's really, it's an important moment to figure out what do you need to thrive? Mm -hmm. What do you personally, each of you need to thrive? Mm -hmm. Um, Because once you know that, then you can put it into place yourself. Mm -hmm. We can't count on the outside environment to do that for us right now. Right. We can't. I agree. No, you're right. If you're, and that's sometimes I think a good way to do it right now is, and you know, like right now, I, one of my biggest struggles or obstacles is the news. Whether you're, you know, on the left or the right, regardless of where you stand, the news is a huge, like, uh, stressor. You know, it's hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's up and down. I mean, no matter where you stand, it's, it's, it's very, it's just, mind-boggling on what's going on so it's kind of interesting you know I, my my take is i've kind of been trying to step back from that a little bit and kind of focus on some of the things that i do want to happen not so much buy into the hype of what's scaring me what's giving me that uncertainty you know as i spoke with you before the show i have a child so you know part of me has that little bit of fear like oh no what should i do you know i have a kid but at the same time i want her to see her pop as a strong man somebody's going to provide 
take care of her and provide that certain, you know, that strong role model in her life, you know, so you have to find that yep. balance, you know, so it, I don't know if, if that makes sense. It's just, it's tricky sometimes. No, it makes perfect sense. But maybe what you provide is not what you would traditionally provide. Like, like what's happening is what we're able to do for ourselves and for each other has changed and mm -hmm. it's not us. It's the environment. So when the environment has knocked us sideways, mm -hmm. and life does, it tumbles us sometimes, then how do you, it's not the external world that's going to steady you again. True. It's you finding your own grounding. So how do you do that? Mm -hmm. what, what are your methods for doing that? Because once you've got a foundational grounding for yourself, mm -hmm. then you're back to resourceful and resilient. Right. Then you can take baby steps. Makes sense. So how? let me ask you, this leads into my next question a little bit. How is the process of healing from this, you know, a loss or some, you know, or any other transition such as downsizing from a bigger home to a smaller home, uh, getting a divorce or having a financial issue in the home? How does healing from a loss like that, you know, what is that? How do, how do you go about that? Um, it's really acknowledging so one of the tough ones is divorce mm -hmm. so typically a divorce when you marry someone you don't expect it to end in divorce mm -hmm. ever sure at least i hope not you know i mean that's i don't know you got people... some of those women out there that marry for the money <laughs> i'm not picking on you i'm just saying in general you know <laughs> just teasing you know, but even they don't want to marry you know they don't want they yeah they don't want it to nice. end yeah they don't want it to end yeah that's funny <laughs> <laughs> but you know if you think about that you don't go in thinking that it's going to end right so whether or not it's by choice there's some grieving mm -hmm. you sell a house to move to a new house there's some grieving the old house sure there's a lot of memories in there and we tend to try and skate over those feelings mm-hmm just to coast over them, to ignore them. And that's a really bad idea. It's also a really bad idea to, to wallow in them. Sure. And could you explain a little bit about the three levels of loss? Because you're kind of talking about, you know, some of the emotions that are attached with it, not wallowing in your fears. What are those th three levels? Um, at the first level, it's just how do you get how do you make it through the day? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you get yourself back? How do you um, know that you're a competent person again? Mm -hmm. How do you remember that you're more than just, I mean, after Dave died, I was living this wasteland of grief. Mm -hmm. I woke up every day and tried to think of a reason to stay alive that day. Sure. For almost a year, for a long time. And then, and, and, you know, they go back and forth with all kinds of feelings. And sometimes I was happy and sometimes I was not happy. And then it was, okay, I need to push out of my own barriers. Mm -hmm. Because it's easy when we're hurt to contract. Right. But the natural way is to contract, integrate the feelings. And this is kind of the first phase. And expand again. Mm -hmm. Contract, integrate, expand. Mm -hmm. It's not natural to stay expanded. It's not natural to stay contracted. And then the next thing is reinvent yourself. Who are you now? Do you even know? 
you know, and then once you reinvent yourself, clarity, distinctions, all the stuff I was talking about. And, and what that required for me was start working. Mm-hmm. My first job, I worked in a fellow widow's pop-up store, Halloween pop-up store. Because I couldn't do the work I, I did, mm-hmm. but I could hang a hanger up. Sure. Yeah, and I think it's just getting a little bit of just some kind of movement, activity, maybe anything that could take your mind away from it for that short period of time would be a positive thing. Exactly. You start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You you take where you are, and then you start pushing against the fears and the barriers and the barricades. And the hardest thing I did actually was um, open myself back up to, to loving Right. To being willing to seek love. Right. I remember you mentioned that. I want to get to a little bit of that a little bit later. Um, what is the third? Uh, third. Uh, the third is going back out into the world. Okay. Is really, okay. really fully thriving. So going back into right. community, going back into work, going back into really starting to take back life. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. All right. So when you start to take back life, you say you began on your dating uh Ventures. Tell me a little bit about that. What kind of did you have any fears? Were you apprehensive or about, you know, I was married once before. Would he have wanted this or how what were your feelings and thoughts on that? Well, I'll, I'll give you a little scenario. OK, I was I was standing at at a I went to see a friend's show and I was talking with this guy by the bar and he was complaining about his divorce and his ex-wife and how and I'm standing there and I'm thinking at what point do I tell him my husband is dead was that going to be your pickup line or is that how you're going to get in there I mean (laughs) I, I, I was literally going you know he's complaining about this and here I've got that you know right that makes sense yeah so I decided I would um I was terrified I would go on Bumble, which is a dating app. I'm familiar with Bumble. The last time I dated was 1992. So what was your, I mean. And it was 2018. So not to throw you completely off your story here, but what was your initial thoughts about online dating? Was it just a total like weird thing or were you like excited by it? What were your thoughts on online dating? Because me personally, I've tried it. You know, I'll be be honest. I've tried it and I've got to say it's it on in some ways it's okay, but on other ways I feel like it makes it so hard to develop a real connection. And also, for me personally, I've done where I have this problem where I talk with somebody online and it allows me the opportunity to create how I want them to be in my own head. And then I actually meet them and it's not the person that I expected. And you wasted a lot of time and investment and re talking to that person. And it's not the person that you had envisioned that would be. So did you experience anything like that through your trials and tribulations or was it a hit right off the bat? No, it was hilarious. I was completely terrified. But basically what I did was I decided that I just wanted to start doing things I liked with men. And so I wanted to, you know, go listen to music and I wanted to do this. So I wrote my profile to be very specific to who I was. Mm -hmm. I didn't worry about them. Because if they wanted who I was, then they would be, be attracted to that profile sure. and if they didn't then I didn't want them anyway 
Makes so. sense. <laughs> well, I'm sure you had some guys that probably because I'm as a man, I have some friends that are questionable. <laughs> okay, and I got to tell you, sometimes I'm like, why are you talking to that girl? And I was like, there, you're, she's nothing like you, bro. Like, well, you know, you know, you're not, that's not your type of chick. Why are you reaching out to her? You know? So did right, you, right. did you deal with any of that where guys just did, maybe they were looking for something other than just a relationship or they didn't really care about the interest or how did you filter through all that stuff? Well, I, I looked through and I basically treated it like an advertising campaign. Okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, I had my profile and I got responses. And if I didn't like the responses I was getting or the kind of guys who were coming to me from what I had, I would change the profile a little bit until by the time I actually went out with anyone, I was only meeting great, interesting guys. Okay. I had pruned it down. And, and that's the be clear. What did I want? Sure. You were, so you were making it even more clear, taking away any ambiguous stuff in, as part of your profile. So that's, that's interesting. Well, let me ask you this because I saw – I'm not Stack sure if it was deck. on one of your – yeah, that's a great, great way to put it. But I'm not sure if I saw this on one of your videos or maybe I saw it on um, uh, your website or something to, the, something to the effect that you hacked Bumble. Is that what you're referring to? So tell me about that. What does that mean exactly? I, I I treated it like a like a show. I'm like, okay, well, I this guy was way too snarky. I didn't like that. Sure. This one was, you know, I, I developed really specific screens because the point was, did they like the me that I was? Right. If they were trying That's to important. have me be other, then I, I wasn't. I was a hot mess. Sure. Well, you were just coming mess. off of the death of your husband. You're also trying to get back out into the world and reinvent yourself. You know, had a lot of things going on. And so I, I, could, I can understand that. I can relate to that. I also, if you're with someone for 25 years and that's the only that's person another thing. Who's, yeah. whose arms you've had around you, whose skin you know that, right? how that person feels, he was a certain height, nobody felt right. right. So I had literally couldn't trust my own body chemistry. I can understand that. I know it's exactly what you mean. It makes a lot of sense. So when you say that you hacked Bumble and you began yep. to kind of just develop your more clear and concise stuff, did that ever yep. come – do you ever feel – and I don't know if you can even answer this, but did you ever feel – because I heard you mention saying – um, you know, if it, they didn't meet this expectation or I didn't like the start snarkiness or I, whatever it may have been, you kind of yeah. did you just kind of write them off or you just said, hey, that's not what I'm looking for. What did you do? Because because that's one of my issues with online dating is that maybe that he didn't have the opportunity to really show himself. Yeah, he may have been snarky, but maybe he was just trying to be funny and it didn't come across well. Or maybe you missed out on a really good person because the message didn't translate well because of the internet message. So is there something you can say to that? Did you? Is How did you go about that? Well, I mean, I didn't need volume. I needed one. So I could be, I could be really specific. And I wasn't actually looking for... I didn't care what height they were. I didn't care what weight they were. I didn't care about many things. Sure. So my, my, um, my, I had this whole little thing about me. And then my thing about them was, 
no Trump people, <laughs> no smoking, huh. must love music. That's it. So what is it about? Can I ask you why not the Trump people? What would what get you about the Trump people? Why would you write that off? Because my and I don't and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but I'm I'm my, my, yep. I'm, I'm a Trump supporter, not in the way that you would. I'm not one of those crazy, you know, out there Trump supporters that just go in. But I support any president, just like when Rush Limbaugh was bashing President Obama. I'm not I didn't agree with President Obama's policies, but I don't like anyone trash talking the president. So in that way, I support every single president. So what about a Trump supporter just didn't set right with you or what, what, what was that a no go? Do You think it would just cause problems in relationship down the line or you wouldn't be able to talk freely or you felt you maybe had to censor yourself? Um, I don't censor myself. Okay. <laughs> so sure. It would have caused problems pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that with the assumption that a Trump supporter wouldn't be open to hearing what you have to say? Um, that I I dated one guy who trended that way. So you had a bad experience, and he just ruined it for everybody. <laughs> no, no. I mean that's it's it's pretty much. I wouldn't. I I actually have tons of friends who mm-hmm. say the same. Mm-hmm. Um, the I don't like the policies, but sure. beyond that, the um, the the uh, bringing down of kindness, the promoting bullying. Mm-hmm. Do you think kindness. he promotes those things? Yes. Interesting. I haven't seen that from him. Um, yes. Okay. I do. I think that the increase in hate crime could be exactly attributed to him. I think that he's a massive bully. Okay. Uh, I think he's breaking down our constitution. He's breaking it down? Yeah. Okay. Uh, fi- firing the um, inspector generals? Mm-hmm. This is, you know, we have three branches of government. Mm-hmm. Three equal branches of government. The executive branch is not meant to be the strongest branch, that it wasn't designed that way. So what do you say to when he says, you know, I'm leaving drink it up bleach. to the... Say again? Drink bleach. Well, he didn't say drink bleach. That was he taken out of context. It. He said inject He did it. not. He said disinfectant. He said disinfectant. He said we could inject it. Dis- yeah. Inject disinfectant, not bleach. Inject disinfectant. We have to quote it. We have to be fair here. You know, I want to be fair. Okay, but... Seriously, would you inject disinfectant no. into yourself? Well, it depends on what Seriously. disinfectant means. Of course, I wouldn't inject bleach or Lysol or any. That's that's goes. That's a no brainer. No, I wouldn't do that. That goes without saying. I think anybody with a common knowledge would understand that that's not what he was referring to. If you believe but poison that poison control got more calls. Well, you know why that is. Do you know why that is? Because I, I will tell you why, because that's a common mistake. No, 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 that's funny. But, you know, the reason why that is, is because of COVID-19 being around, a lot of people went to the grocery stores and stocked up on a lot of cleaning supplies. They went really hard with it, just buying bleach, buying Lysol, buying all this stuff, and they're cleaning their homes with it. So as they're cleaning, they're more exposed to it. And as they were more exposed to it, the calls went up and crime, I mean, into those uh 
those labs that were, you know, you see a spike in the calls. But really, it was not because people were drinking bleach or injecting these things. It's because they were using them around their household to disinfect everything. So that's another common misconception. Now, I don't want to make you feel like I'm <laughs> totally going, like trying to uh, discredit anything you're saying because you do bring up some very valid points. But I feel like a lot of the things that the president says and does is taken out of context on both sides of the media. Um, so, you know, but you do have a lot of points. He is not a very diplomatic guy. Very, he's not very charismatic in the way that speaks to everybody. You know, he does have he's a... Not kind yeah he doesn't have a kind way kind. yeah he's not he I, and that goes I, back to what i think you were saying a little earlier though when you say no one likes a victim uh, i think that he kind of takes that mentality and says you know what um i'm not going to victimize people because it sets them on a it makes them look as if how can I put it? It makes them look as the weaker person or I'm just going to treat everybody across the same. I mean, across the board, the same. Now, yeah, there's probably better ways of handling a thousand percent, maybe. But it, I'd rather have somebody treat me the same way without saying, well, let me pander to you. Let me be kinder to you so I don't hurt your feelings. I'd rather, you know, treat everybody equally because that comes across more genuine than somebody who says, oh, it's going to be OK. And then it's totally different to the person to the other side of them. You know, like you say, you have different people in your network, so you try to te treat people differently. That can start to come across as not genuine. But I also don't think that you would be a bully as I would not be a bully. I sure. don't think you would teach that to your child. Absolutely not. Absolutely and, and, not. and this is the example that he sets with okay. his name calling and his... You know, this is this is the example that the head of this country is setting. Sure. And I that's not OK with me. Okay. That's not OK with me. I don't personally see it that way. But, you know, I never want and, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear you speak about it because it's you're being honest about your feelings and how you feel, you know, so that that is important. So I don't want you to think I'm taking away from anything that you're saying at all. Um, we just have a little bit of a difference of opinion on the issue. Um, that's fine. And yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my whole thing is he I agree with him. The, the main thing I can agree with you on that. He doesn't always handle it the best way that he could. And I think that's kind of what drew me to him. And the reason being, I say that because he's not a politician. I don't know if you recently saw the video of Joe Biden, his teleprompter cut off. And he's like trying to get people like he's like, come on, tell me what to say. Like he does. He he's lost for words. So I'd rather have somebody speak from the heart, whether that's good or bad, you know, and tell it like it is or, you know, good or bad that, you know, they're being genuine. And that's one thing that I see with Trump, because, yeah, maybe what he's saying, I totally disagree with. But, you know, I don't fear that he's lying or being disingenuous. You know, I'd rather say, hey, look, I can't stand what, what he's saying, but he's being real. You know what I'm saying? I just, I'm not worried in fear that he's not telling the truth, because that's where I fall with a lot of politicians is I don't know if I'm ever being told the truth or not, you know? <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm also from New York, so he's he was from New York, mm -hmm. and um, anyone in construction in New York, small companies in New York, he would hire them, mm -hmm. and then he would, in the middle of the job, say, I'm not going to pay you what I agreed to. I've heard stories about that. I think some of those have been debunked, but I have heard stories about that. 
that is true in New York and true in Atlantic City. Because I'm from here. Sure, sure. So so we know we we know who he is from here. Right. And and so I have a lot less rope for him. But there's a lot of it. people that um which I, I can understand that, especially I, I understand that. But there's a lot of people who also like Rudy Giuliani, who's from New York and, you know, is quite fond of Trump. So, you know, he and, you know, a lot of people have had positive things to say about Rudy as well. So what is your relationship with how do you tie those? Together? Rudy Giuliani did a good um, job after 9-11. Mm hmm. So there was a void. So the void that Trump has created in New York is filled by Cuomo and Cuomo's um, Cuomo's presentations are clear and concise and gives us information. They're awesome. Um, Rudy Giuliani filled a void. He has since become somewhat of a monster, mm -hmm. but. Well, know. I think he I, I, I do agree that, you know, he kind of has a biased opinion, especially when he's, you know, Trump's attorney and all that stuff. So I definitely can understand with what you're saying there. Well, I really appreciate you kind of talking to me a little bit about that and giving me your perspective, because that was, you know, I don't want you to feel as if I'm not open to anybody on the left's ideas, because I, and the one reason I pressed you mm -hmm. on that issue a little bit is because you said, you know, being a Trump supporter on my dating profile was just a no go for me. And which, you know, that for you, that may not be what it it is but for me and don't i hope you don't take this the wrong way but for me that almost seems like um i, I maybe i'm using the wrong word here but an immature or childish way to look at things because for me personally i'm always open to hear what other people have to say and like you know think about well let, let me hear what they want you know what they have to offer whether i agree with them politically or not because maybe just maybe not you know I'm able to find a medium ground where to say, hey, you know what, maybe I was a little um, too far on that issue. And, you know, she brought up a lot of really good points that, you know, makes a lot of sense, you know, and it kind of gets you adjusted a little bit. What do you think about that? But see, that's what I might like in a friend. It's not what I want in a life partner. What good I want point. in a life partner is a safe space. That makes a what lot I, of sense. So, so given what I was, I was, I was on Bumble mm -hmm. to be in love again and, sure. and in fact did fall in love again. And I didn't remember, I wrote my profile, not for the other person, right. just for me. Right. So it was, it was, I grant you completely selfish, but it didn't have to. Well, be I don't even know if it's selfish I, because you, like you said, you're going to go into this relationship. You're going to make, mm -hmm. you know, invest time and effort. You're going to, if you're going to put your best foot forward and really do what it takes to meet somebody, I don't find that that's necessarily selfish. And I think that's a great point when you say, you know what, I could be friends with that person, but I don't think for a life yep. partner that would, I, that's a great point. I think that's a great way of putting it. So, I, I mean, that's. Makes a lot so of you and I are having a very civilized conversation. Sure. We don't necessarily agree, yeah. but we're not ripping at each other. Yeah, no, right? I, I feel like that's just immature. You see that way too much, you know, and I don't yep. want to, I don't, I just don't want, I want to be better than that. You know, sometimes I find myself slipping into that and usually it's, 
you know, I try, I catch myself, you know, I find myself, but I don't yep. want to go down that road. It's just not who I would like to be as a person. I want to be open to ideas. I want to also convey my own thoughts and ideas, but um, I don't think it's very productive when you have somebody that you may disagree with to just go back and forth spatting at each other and neither one of you get anything accomplished. And you did open my eyes to some things about, you know, so, it, you know, like, okay, I could see that. That makes sense. And when you talk about, you know, I could find, see somebody like that as a friend but not a life partner i think that was a great point so you did you know you did great with all of that so i hope you you know don't take i hope you don't feel as if i i've been you know upsetting towards you or, or done anything wrong or anything like that because i oh, think no, you brought no. up I'm, great stuff i'm fine okay. i'm fine it's just um you know i'm i'm from new york hey, hey <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with that i understand oh, new york is uh known for being tough out there you guys are tough so i appreciate that and i appreciate you answering my questions on it so let me ask you to get back to a little bit why do you go by the name bad widow how did that name come about bad widow um i'm going to turn on a light cuz it's getting really dark here sure <laughs> um so bad widow I, um, after my husband died, I felt completely broken mm -hmm. and I discovered that there was nobody who was actually sharing from the sort of extremely raw place I found myself where I was, I was a hot mess. You know, I started dating on Bumble and I would go, don't touch me, burst into tears. You know, I, I was not in good shape and sure. there was nobody talking from there. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of voices and writing and speaking once people were sort of through it. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't through it. Those people had nothing to offer me. And so then I thought, okay, well, if I'm not finding anything, if I'm not finding any resources that are answering my needs right now, mm -hmm. then maybe I need to provide them. Mm -hmm. Because I'm serve a thriving ecosystem, right? Um, and so I just started speaking from the raw and from the vulnerable and from exactly what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I found that there were people who were also experiencing that gap. And so it was bad widow was my, I'm going to blow up all the assumptions people have about how to treat me. And I'm going to share the resources that I am creating to get through myself. And I am going to, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to build something here. I'm going to build a platform. And Bad Widow was just that I'm, I'm going up against what mm -hmm. people think you should do and think you should say. Right. Because I kept getting angry at people because they would say... They would, I'll give you a simple example. They would say, how do you feel? Mm -hmm. And my thought in my head was, how do you think I feel? Right. I'm, I'm looking forward to half my life mm -hmm. potentially alone. Being a cat lady, you know? Sure. <laughs> or something. Mm -hmm. How do you think I feel? And so I started educating people. You know, it would be better to say, how do you feel right now? How do you feel today? Those were questions I could answer. Makes because sense. what I was looking at was a wasteland of grief. Right. And I think that goes back to being clear and concise in your thoughts and your message because you could say, how do you feel? Well, how do I feel about what today? 
or about tomorrow, what's to come or what's already happened. You know, that leaves a lot of ambiguity, right? Exactly, exactly. And so I was getting mad. And if I would get mad, then people would leave. <laughs> you know, right. it was not a good, it was not a good deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Bad Widow was, okay, I am not being supported. I'm being supported the way that other people think they would want to be supported in my shoes. Mm-hmm. Which is not the same thing. But if I could be clear then I could maybe be clear for me and everyone like me it's true you know I I was I was an egregious example I right after my husband died he died in my arms four Mm. breasts and there was a friend who was meant to come over so I called Mm. the friend and I said don't come he's just died and he said well would you mind if I came over and saw the body now picture it. I've got my husband who's just died in my arms. And someone is Yeah, like you want to come over right now? Like leave me alone, buddy. Yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. So so there were things like that and they were just people are awkward around death and they're awkward around loss and they're awkward around transitions. And so they do and say stupid things. And it, it hurts everybody. So if you can actually educate them about how to do it better, the person who's suffering gets more support, the person who's trying to offer support feels appreciated, it's a win-win. Sure. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so before we wrap up here, I usually like to keep the show uh, to an hour, but you've brought up a lot of interesting (laughs) things, and we kind of ran over there, so that's awesome. Um, So... In, why is including self-care in your schedule uh, an essential business practice for thi- thriving? So we know we're talking about healing. We've talked about, you know, you're dealing with this. At what point do you include the self-care and why is that important? So what happens with self-care is it actually expands your capacity mm-hmm. um, to, to think and to take action and to take effective action. So if you're feeling depleted it's really hard to get stuff done. Whereas if you can do something that fills you up, for me, it's singing is one of the things I do. Going for a walk. Everyone's got their stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It could be journaling. It could be painting. It could be whatever. But if you fill yourself up before you are trying to get something done, you'll get through it much faster and more efficiently. Right? So the self-care can actually, you can use it to buffer yourself when you're going into a difficult conversation or a meeting that's going to be challenging or something that's going to take a lot of your energy. Mm -hmm. You need to bank some additional energy and self-care does that. Makes a lot of sense. Well, I want to say that was wonderful, Allison. I was so pleased to have you on the show today. Where can people find you? How should they go about contacting you if they want to ask you any questions? Are you open to that type of stuff? What can you tell everybody that you want them to know right now? Absolutely. The best place to go is badwidow.com. Okay. And there is a link on there where you can actually schedule a conversation with me, and we can talk about your specific circumstances and See so you I offer coaching you? services, is that right? I do. That's awesome. Well, well, that's awesome. I will make sure that your link is in the description of the video so people can reach out to you. Um, I was 
ecstatic to have you on, and I appreciate you being understanding of my positions and talking with me and being open-minded. I think that's what the country needs a lot more of, so I appreciate everything that you had to say today, and you were a wonderful guest, and I appreciate you coming on. Hopefully, maybe we can have you on in the future, and we could uh, kind of recap and see how things have gone with you and your new uh, lover there, and you can give us a fill us in on all the exciting stuff, so I appreciate you coming on, Allison, and I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you so much, Kevin. You too. Oh, my pleasure. Take care, Allison. Have a good one. <laughs> okay, bye. Stay safe. Yes, you too. All right, everybody. So that was Allison Pena. Sorry we ran over a little bit on the uh, hour mark, but I don't know. I felt like that was a great conversation we had about the politics a little bit because she brought up a lot of interesting points. You know, we didn't always agree on everything politically, but she did have a positive message to share. She's somebody who went through a loss and she's able to help people and coach people on how to bounce back from those losses and things that you can do. Um, so if you're interested in speaking to uh, Allison, you can uh, reach out to her at www badwidow.com um, I have her website uh, in the description below but uh, you guys have a great night thanks for choosing, tuning in to our 12th episode and we will see you next week Monday at 7pm I do have another guest for you lined up if you follow the K2 podcast Facebook page you can stay all um, up to date on all the newest guests that's going to be coming on all the latest episodes please like this video and subscribe to our video on YouTube you can also listen to us on Spotify YouTube uh, iTunes Anchor FM all of that good stuff so thanks for tuning in to another great stream i really appreciate all the support everybody have a great day and have a wonderful week take care